Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. In the previous program, I ended with the capitulation of Great Britain in terms of ceding Hong Kong back to China, only now not the former China, but the communist regime of China. And I'm going to be referring to Hong Kong, China, the communist regime of China, and Taiwan back and forth throughout this. But first, pertaining to ceding of Hong Kong to the communist regime. What brought this about? Uh, you know, this, this capitulation by Britain, what led to this? What brought this about? Well, any number of things. But one thing was the activities of certain individuals who believed that Britain was downright odious, you know, for, for colonizing Hong Kong, right? These imperialist, terrible Westerners. Terrible. But lo and behold, one individual who stands out, who is no longer with us, was none other than Seto Wa, a very prominent democracy activist in Hong Kong. He was a pronounced leftist. Shocking, I know, but he had organized protests against the British before the handover. Shocking, isn't it? So here he is, this prominent man, wonderful, pro-democracy activist, senior citizen, elder statesman, organizing (laughs) these protests to push Britain off of this once barren rock. And then, what happened? Then, eight years before Britain handed it over to communist China, Tiananmen Square, massacre. And he ended all of his ties with Beijing. I don't know if he stopped protesting against Britain. Probably not. I mean, honestly, probably not. But, you know... He meant well, I'm sure. But you will find this. This is a common theme, a common thread. You find it in former Soviet Union, back in its infancy. You find it in Nazi Germany, back in the infancy, in the years leading up to the Nazi Reich, and during the first years of the Nazi Reich. You find it in fascist Italy, and all of these other places. K. 
Cambodia, and so forth, is that, and very, very, very much in all of the Western nations today, (laughs) United States of America and Britain and so forth, these strident, devout leftists, communists, socialists, who (laughs) they engage in this labor of love to bring an end to these terrible, imperialist, Western, capitalist nations. Turn them over to socialist regimes, to communist regimes, to fascist regimes. And then what happens? Well, he died of cancer. But what really is usually the case is that these people are exterminated, rounded up, and put in concentration camps and slaughtered by the communist and fascist regimes that they have helped bring to power. It happens over and over and over and over again. But now the last British governor of Hong Kong, he has had some interesting statements to make concerning Hong Kong. One thing that he said was that there had been a steady tightening of grip on Hong Kong's windpipe and its autonomy, among other things. (laughs) And what I was... What I find shocking, but it's honestly, it's predictable, is there were so many people in Hong Kong who imagined that communist China taking over Hong Kong was going to be a good thing, a wonderful thing. Riddance, bad riddance to bad rubbish, you know, to the Brits. And now... Now we're going to be unified with communist China, but we get to maintain our independence and our own rule and everything. And so it's the best of both worlds. Well, shockingly enough, it hasn't been. No, no, it hasn't been 50 years or anything close. And yet China, the communist Chinese regime, rules Hong Kong in the Cantonese, something more akin to Hong Gong, Fragrant Harbor. The Fragrant Harbor that various different experts referred to as China's golden goose. Well, what is the situation for that golden goose now? It would appear that the goose is cooked. And on the verge of becoming an extinct species altogether. But why, again, why did Britain do such a thing? Really, why? Why did they? Well, they had some outstanding leadership. Leadership like, akin to, similar to, James Earl Jimmy Trust Me Carter of the United States of America, an extremely close ally of the 
Council on Foreign Relations, who was in favor of all things destructive to the United States of America, whether it had to do with the Panama Canal or whether it had to do with the U.S. Navy, which he had been a part of at one time, being a graduate of Annapolis and this sort of thing. But great weakness from Britain. I know that probably really is hard to believe. Weakness from Great Britain. Yes, Great Britain, uh, which has been synonymous with weakness for a long time now. It caved in to pressure. There was no Winston Churchill. There was no leader, national leader, of sufficient combination of courage, foresight, hindsight, wisdom, historical appreciation of the realities there, to stand in the way of this. And no, of course, the royal family, oh my, they must not get involved. And if they were to get involved, it would not be on the side of right. But yes, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, a colony of the British Empire, of the great British Empire, the powerful British Empire, which Britain received following the First Opium War. They received Hong Kong Island, which they described as being a barren rock. And compared to today, reasonable, (laughs) very reasonable. But, you see, it was ceded to the United Kingdom in perpetuity, permanently, without end. It was to be United Kingdom property. Then, Kowloon Peninsula was also ceded to the United Kingdom in 1860, before the outset of the so-called Civil War here in the United States of America. And then, Britain leased the so-called New Territories, in 1898. Well, fascinatingly enough, that timing, one, it was to be this lease, put under lease for 100 years, the New Territories, in 1898. And come 1997, Britain gives it all back, not just the New Territories, or to try to release them or something, extend their lease. But no, they capitulated, they gave Hong Kong, Hong Kong and Kowloon Peninsula to the communist regime of China, the bloody, monstrous communist regime. It just made so much sense. It's something that uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon could appreciate, as well as Jimmy Carter. Yes. So, what was Hong Kong known for back then, 
back in 1997. Well, it was known for being a freewheeling place. Yes, the British, those terrible British, they had permitted it to operate under minimum government intervention. Bare minimal government intervention from Great Britain. Under the <laughs> this idea of positive non-interventionism lies as fair to the extreme, to the nth degree, and which was not that unusual for colonies, for British colonies, British colonies. But, lo and behold, (laughs) it has changed to the amazement of experts everywhere who had thought that its future was going to be so different from what it has turned out to be. So very different, yes, It was going to have this incredible influence on the communist regime, mainland China, and bring it around to its way of doing things. (laughs) Such expertise, such brilliance, such insight. It's just hard to imagine how they could have been wrong. But, yes, this wide-open thriving, bustling, extremely successful, wealthy city-state. Well, remarkably enough, again, so many experts, they thought that Hong Kong would cause all of China to erupt in democracy. Oh, my Such experts. I mean, it is just, it's truly breathtaking. But, no. No, was not to be. Who could have thunk that, huh? So, communist China, how does it view Hong Kong? It views it as a threat. A place where subversion... (laughs) is rampant, a place that must be crushed under the communist regime. But communist China knows that nobody is going to intervene, not Donald Trump. If he should continue to be president, not anybody else. (laughs) That is, that is vying to become president. There's no danger of any interference from the United States of America, from Great Britain, from NATO. (laughs) NATO has no use for anything outside of the North Atlantic area, of course. But Hong Kong, this once democratic place... And you say, democratic? It was a colony. Yes, it was a British colony that operated democratically. But its communist regime stooge leader, Kerry Lam, 
She states that the one country, two systems mandate, it's as robust as ever. And rule of law is better than pre-1997. Rule of law is better than before the handover from Britain. She's a complete, absolute mouthpiece for communist regime propaganda. What's really been going on in Hong Kong is something very, very different indeed. But pity. (laughs) So Hong Kong, which ranks third most important leading international financial center in the world after only London and New York City. (laughs) It is now to be crushed by communist China. Thanks to the weakness of Britain, the terrible, terrible weakness of Great Britain. But after all, you know, we in the West, we, we are so prone to be influenced by public opinion. And we don't want people to think badly of us. Heaven forbid that. And I, I know how that is personally. So I can relate to that. But uh, when Hong Kong was handed over to communist China, It was thought to be a model, a template, a blueprint of what China might one day become. Yes. Prosperous, thriving, internationally respected and renowned. Uber-modern, ultra-modern. And a place of great international commerce and presence of people from all around the world and enjoying freedom in the form of Liza's Fair business arrangements and coupled with the rule of law, protections by its judicial system. Yes. It was known as where the East meets West, or the East met the West. A place that uh, is lauded in movies and so on and so forth. But it's something different now. Oh, people still go there. And if you happen to view various movies, one comes to mind, Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong, a romantic dramedy or romantic drama, which, as far as I know, uh, last I saw, had only grossed $25,000. You know, not exactly a blockbuster Box office smash hit. But 
I actually like the movie. I do. And even though there is one contrivance in it uh, that it, that it hinges on, which I choose to view as being something other than a contrivance, nonetheless, it still is comparatively free from uh, from the typical romantic comedy, and it's not a comedy, but the typical formula for romantic comedies and romantic dramedies. And it has a minimum of... I say minimum, I don't mean no, none of it. A minimum of profanity and of taking the name of the Lord in vain compared to your typical Hollywood fare, not compared to Hallmark, which thankfully is free of all of that. But, nope, this wonderful place, (laughs) which always had problems, organized crime was present, violence was present, extremely high housing costs, and so forth. So it was never a Shangri-La. It was never truly a shining city on a hilltop, like Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, referred to the United States as being, or that should aspire to be, was intended to be. But now, now under this Marxist regime, this Leninist regime, it's something else again. There has been a movement going on for (laughs) a long time now to try to make Hong Kong not less democratic, but more democratic. And to have Hong Kong be self-governing. And even independent. This movement has been led not by the high and mighty, not by the powerful, not by the rich, but by, going back some years now, by a 14-year-old boy who has done amazing things. And he's now ripled 18, I think. But communist China, the regime has with impunity sent their secret police into Hong Kong, has kidnapped billionaires, has kidnapped private business people, taken them back to mainland China, held them prisoner, interrogated them, forced them to make confessions under extreme duress, terror and or brainwashed them, has trotted them out to have interviews done telling of how they have been agents of the Western powers and so on and so forth. It's standard operating procedure of what goes on on a daily basis in communist China 
But Hong Kong is supposed to be free from that. But it's not. Communist China has instituted its version of core curriculum. Focused on indoctrinating children from the youngest ages on up. That their allegiance, their loyalty is to the communist regime. The same thing that goes on in communist North Korea, satellite state North Korea. Before I continue, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Whatever is right and true and good in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus. Whatever is lacking erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me and my myriad imperfections. But Hong Kong's police, their border control, their immigration services, these are all supposed to be independent of communist China. Not under the foot, not under the boot of communist China's regime, but rather independent. Well, so much for that. (laughs) That's a thing of the past. Various leaders of the push for self-government, self-governance, and even gasp independence. Again, are young people, young people in their teens and their 20s, typically, as was true in mainland China before the Tiananmen Square premeditated massacre. It wasn't something spontaneous. It was a premeditated massacre, and I'll have more to say about that later in this program. But leaders of this democracy movement, they flew to Taiwan to meet with their kindred leaders in Taiwan. And at the Hong Kong airport, immediately prior to departure, they were met by crowds of so-called pro-China demonstrators that were composed of thugs, of organized crime thugs. And they accosted these young people and threatened them. Commentators described those so-called demonstrators, political demonstrators, as rent-a-mobs. Rent-a-mobs. That, again, were comprised of organized crime groups working on behalf of, contracted by, the communist regime in Beijing, headquartered in Beijing. 
And the mob's intent was to make it known to these young people, to intimidate them, make it known to them that there's no place (laughs) that you can hide or be safe. You can run, but you can't hide. We will reach you wherever you are. And we will punish you. Well, when they got to Taiwan, they were in for worse. But fortunately, at least in Taiwan, the Taiwanese police acted on their behalf. Fortunate indeed, because there was greater violence attempted. And then when they returned to Hong Kong, again, they were met with violence and as when they departed, no police protection from Hong Kong's independent police force. Well, at the time of the handover from Great Britain, it was guaranteed that Hong Kong, again, would enjoy self-governance for 50 years. And then thereafter, you know, perhaps segue into (laughs) a virtual independent status. Well, no. (laughs) It's been less than 22 years and not the case. So Hong Kong, this place of approximately 8 million people, somewhere between 7.5 to 8 million people, a place of such great financial power. And that's not to say there are not poor people there. There are. Housing is obscenely expensive. There are people living in four-by-six-foot apartments, if you can imagine that. Imagine what you can put in a four-foot-by-six-foot apartment. Hmm? That makes tiny houses look like mansions by comparison, right? 24 square feet. Hmm. But Hong Kong should have seen this coming. And instead of these wonderful previous pro-democracy demonstrators, as previously mentioned, rather than them protesting against terrible Great Britain, they should have been terrified at the prospect of falling under the control of communist China. The man that I referred to previously, Mr. Waugh, At his death, he was 79 years of age. He lived through at least part of the cultural revolution, so-called, in communist China. The Tiananmen Square massacre, as terrible as it was, and it was, if you put that 
in a balance. (laughs) And you put the cultural revolution bloodbath on the other side of the balance. What will you have? Well, you won't even know that the Tiananmen Square massacre is there. Right? It it would not be fair to liken it to being a drop in a bucket. It would be a drop in a large lake. Cultural revolution, we're talking about millions and millions and millions of people. Typically good people. Kind people, gentle people, Christian people, educated people, intellectuals, and common people, farmers and what have you, slaughtered, wholesale slaughter by the vicious, ruthless, monstrously murderous, bloody red communist regime of dear, sainted Chairman Mao. Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong, whatever you, however you prefer, he in his little red book, appropriately enough, red, red like communist, but no, it should have been blood red as far as the color of it. But it's just such a pity, such a pity that the wise and wonderful ones like that man And the others who were agitating for freedom from Britain what a pity that they were such unimaginably ignorant of history that they had lived through, that they were aware of which was just across the way from them. You know, Britain so kindly, so thoughtfully ceded Hong Kong and Kowloon back to China, which was no longer the China that it was when these were ceded for perpetuity to them. The languages not only spoken but taught on Hong Kong are English, Cantonese, which is the native language there, and Mandarin. Cantonese. Why Cantonese? Well, just so happens that the overwhelming majority of the population, the native population, if you will, of Hong Kong, are from Canton in China, which has been renamed to Guangdong province. And they fled from Canton to escape wars and communist rule in China, to escape the cultural revolution of the communist regime. Between the 1930s to the 1960s, there was this series of wars, 
and then the monstrous evil communist regime. And these people fled. They fled to Hong Kong for safety and for freedom. And the Brits, those wonderful Brits, they handed them over to the communist authorities in mass. So good of them. So good of Britain. I mean, Britain has had so many outstanding signal achievements like that, just as it did with Israel. But in any case, Hong Kong, a place of international import, a place that many people, world travelers, tourists, they think it's just a you know, a glorious place, a beautiful place, and uh, it is a must-see destination, right? It is should be on everybody's bucket list. Well, pity. It is going to be subjugated to police state status. Chris Patton, he was the last colonial governor of Hong Kong. He said the following, quote, I feel very strongly that we let down the parents of this generation of democracy activists. I think it would be a tragedy if we let down these kids as well, end quote. Indeed. But the communist Chinese regime is bent on, committed to, dedicated to, stamping out, destroying all pro-democracy People. Again, the overwhelming majority of the leaders of this are very young. Communist China, the regime, is on the record as referring to them as a cancer. But as I've mentioned before, in terms of the world rulers behind the scenes, their particular agenda, line items. One of them is seizing control of all communications. Another is seizing control of all education. Another is corrupting, perverting, subverting the young people, and so forth. Another is seizing control of the justice apparatus and, in fact, of the whole government. Well, China, interestingly enough, as I alluded to before, it is not only using its own state apparatus to put out its 
propaganda far and wide, roundabout, propaganda aimed at the people of Hong Kong. But in addition to that, they have taken control of the media on Hong Kong. They're using the media outlets on Hong Kong to deliver their propaganda to the people of Hong Kong. It's just textbook. I mean, this is what communism does. It, <laughs> unfailingly, this, these are not aberrations. You know, it's uh, to go back to George W. Bush and Condoleezza Rice and Dick Cheney and the rest, <laughs> who were fond of saying that the Islamist terrorists, Al-Qaeda and what have you, that they had hijacked Islam. No, they in fact were representative of Muhammad. They were simply following in the bloody footsteps of Muhammad. So too here, <laughs> with this communist Chinese regime, the way that they are behaving, misbehaving, this is not an aberration. This is not an anomaly. They are following in the bloody red footsteps of Mao Zedong. They are following in the bloody red footsteps of Joseph Stalin and Fidel Castro, and of all such, Pol Pot and the rest. It's, it doesn't deviate. <laughs> it is a battle plan that they go by. <laughs> they unfailingly, unswervingly follow that, <laughs> as compared to the unswerving uh, matter of allowing Hong Kong to govern itself. But Anyway, there were two young people that were elected to office. Yao Wai-Ching, a lovely young woman, and I don't know how this is pronounced, Baggio or Baggio Lung. And when they were supposed to take their oaths of office, they unfurled a banner. They displayed a banner that said, Hong Kong is not China. <laughs> And then they referred, and this is really unforgivable, even more so than that, they mispronounced China as being China. Now you'd think, well, okay, so what? Well, China <laughs> was a pronunciation and supposedly a whole different word used by the Japanese to refer derisively to China. But anyway... Beijing's highest legislative body got involved because the local Hong Kong government, which is supposed to be free and all of that, it prevented them from taking office. <laughs> and then before that case could be resolved, communist China's highest legislative body, the National People's Congress. You know, it's all about the people, just like Hillary Rodham Clinton. It's all about the children and the women. Well, in communist China, it's all about the people, and in communist North Korea. The National People's Congress stated that 
Yao Weiching and Baggio or Baggio. Her compatriot, Lung, would not be allowed to ever take their oaths again. Not only because they broke the oath-taking rules, but because Hong Kong independence is a cancer that needs to be stamped out. And on it goes. (laughs) There are so many instances, but... Communist China rules the roost in Hong Kong. And the question is just how bad is it going to get? Is there going to be another Tiananmen Square massacre? Are these young people going to be kidnapped and taken away to communist China, never to be seen again? Absolutely a possibility. A high probability, I would say. Or, of course, they could just be locally murdered by organized crime thugs working for the communist Chinese or by communist Chinese secret agents. Yes. But it's just wonderful. You know, Taiwan is supposed to be a free (laughs) nation, right? Free from communist China. The Chinese national government fled to Taiwan. But interestingly enough, and hardly surprising, the communist Chinese regime exerts significant influence directly on the island, not only indirectly to all of the nations, the Western nations, that might aid and assist Taiwan and to prevent them from so doing, but also actively on the ground, boots on the ground in Taiwan. Via, again, communist agents, but also via local mafia, whom, again, they had attack these young, unseated legislators and other pro-democracy leaders from Hong Kong when they visited Taiwan. One political science professor stated, a Hong Kong-Taiwan axis makes China, meaning the communist regime, very nervous. For the first time, what brings together these activists is a strong anti-China, meaning anti-communist regime, sentiment, not just a pro-democracy one, end quote. For the first time, see, up until now, (laughs) there hasn't been that sentiment of anti-communist China, but... It has gotten so bad with the pressure from the communist regime that it has led to that. That the pro-democracy protesters have realized, have come to recognize (laughs) that they are in the crosshairs of the communist regime. The Taiwanese counterparts for them, they had a saying Today, Hong Kong, tomorrow, Taiwan. Which is interesting because (laughs) 
because they actually have have led the way rather than Hong Kong. But just remarkable. Tiananmen Square, interesting how indefinite the body count is. The communist Chinese make it out, oh, just a couple hundred. When in fact, more likely, many thousands. The number of youth protesters in Tiananmen Square in 1989 exceeded one million. And communist China, ever since then, has done everything in their power to keep the Chinese people from being aware of it, from remembering it, from mentioning it, from discussing it. They have full-time Internet censors that prevent it being aired. But... One thing that is not commonly known is that both the United States of America and the United Kingdom knew of the massacre plans, the impending massacre at Tiananmen Square two weeks before it happened. They not only could anticipate it, expect it, they knew about it. Then-Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping was quoted as saying, quote, 200 dead could bring 20 years of peace to China, end quote. And his statements were just recently declassified in British uh, archives. The U.K. embassy in Beijing knew again, two weeks before June 4th, 1989, that the so-called People's Liberation Army was preparing to kill, to murder, hundreds, thousands, thousands of student protesters who had been gathering at the square in Beijing for many weeks. On May 20th, Ding declared martial law, and he deployed 300,000 troops to Beijing. Deng Xiaoping's intention was very simple. This was premeditated massacre. And interestingly enough, the British ambassador, Sir Alan Ewan Donald, he learned from the Pentagon on the same night that he received word that Deng had made that statement, he learned from the Pentagon that Chinese authorities had decided there is no way to avoid bloodshed. So they recalled hospital staffers to their workplaces and instructed the troops to do what is necessary to put down the situation. 
Well, supposedly, this is one of the darkest moments in modern Chinese history. What is modern Chinese history? (laughs) Are we excluding the cultural revolution of millions and millions and millions of people? Well, the young people, they had escalated what they were saying beyond their general demands to actually referring to Deng Xiaoping, extremely derogatorily. What one major leader in China referred to as an act of folly, indeed, it was a fatal mistake, to say the least. And perchance, this will be revisited in Taiwan. And perhaps in Hong Kong. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.